first uh, memory uh, is being, it was like a summer camp that my parents sent me to locally, though. It wasn't like an overnight thing. So it was like a, a day, whatever they call that, <laughs> summer day camp, I guess, I don't know. Anyway, the first thing I remember is hearing uh, the coast of this jukebox. And it would echo like throughout the entire, uh, you know, camp. I remember hearing the coasters, uh, you know, yakety yak. The first memory I have, really, of rock and roll. And then, and and my grandmother would be dancing around occasionally when she did the housework to Elvis Presley, which is the only reason why I ever heard of Elvis Presley. Um, and then uh, uh, my, my aunt bought me uh, poison ivy because I got poison ivy. And uh, um, my uncle uh, bought me a couple records. So, you know, I started buying singles, uh, Duke of Earl, Palisades Park, uh, you know, Four Seasons, early 60s, you know, little, Pretty Little Angel Eyes, things like that, you know. And uh, I didn't really associate the records with uh, the artists, which was weird, you know, uh, it's kind of like what's happening now. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, it was really, you know, life began February 9th, 1964, from my, you know, same story you're going to get from almost everybody, when the Beatles played this variety show called Ed Sullivan, and, uh, you know, the whole family would be in uh, one room watching the only TV, which was attached to the piece of furniture that was also the record player. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and seeing a band play was really uh, everything to me. Um, it was a whole different communication, literally. I had no interest in being in, in the business or, you know, no interest in Elvis Presley uh, or anybody else I had heard of. I, n I never heard of most of them. I, I never heard of Chuck Berry or... O Diddley or Muddy Waters until the British Invasion turned me on to those records. So, um, so it all began with the Beatles. Um, they were literally like they dropped in from another planet and uh, um, gave you hope. It was just like this new world was revealed, um, something I wanted to be a part of. I didn't fit in, 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 in anywhere else. Uh, there was no... Uh, I had no ambition to, to go to school, to join the military, to uh, uh, you know work my father's job, uh, whatever every other kid was doing. No interest whatsoever. So I, I didn't fit in anywhere. You know, those of us who were the real freaks and misfits and outcasts ended up in rock and roll. So, uh, but the Beatles were, were. We saw the Beatles halfway through the career. That's when we discovered them. You know, 1964, they'd already been playing since 58. They'd be gone in 69. So by the time we saw the Beatles, they were really incredibly sophisticated. You know, harmonies were perfect. The hair was perfect. The clothes were perfect. They, they revealed an interesting new world, but it wasn't like you could say, oh, I, I, I'm going to do that. It was impossible. But four months later, the Rolling Stones came. And they made it look easier than it was, and they didn't have the great harmony, and they wore whatever they felt like wearing, and, you know. 
and uh, most importantly, as I've said many times before, the most important thing that happened at that moment was Mick Jagger uh, was the first person I'd ever seen in show business that didn't smile. And what did that mean? Well, I wasn't that interested in show business. I, I kind of like it now. I can kind of appreciate it now. But back then, I had no interest in show business. You know? And when, by Mick Jagger not smiling, uh, to me, that communicated something entirely different. It was like, this is a lifestyle. This isn't just, uh, you know, some some affectation, some, some sort of, uh, you know, phony smile for the camera kind of a thing and and uh, and that and that really uh, was it for me you know I mean the, the, so between the Beatles and the Stones and the whole British invasion which followed for a year and a half we had nothing but the British invasion which was amazing you know one amazing group after the other the animals and Herman's Hermits and Dave Clark Five and the Who and the Kinks and the Hollies and Yardbirds and on and on. Uh, it wasn't until uh, the middle of 1965 that the uh, Americans uh, we, we got our ch charts back with uh, with folk rock. So um, anyway, that would begin the yearly trend that everybody followed. the The artistic world, the the rock and roll world, as, as such as it was, was very very much a monoculture. Um, there was basically AM radio, which was great, but it was all the same. And then one FM station came, 67, 68, in every town, which dealt with some re regional music, which was great. You know, they would play some local stuff, but um, mostly it was all the same. So everybody was having the same experience nationwide and um, and we would tend to go from one trend to the other you know every single year had a different trend 64 British invasion 65 was folk rock 66 was country rock 67 psychedelic 68 blues rock and 69 um, probably the final trend was that southern rock came in you know uh, Delaney and Bonnie and Taj Mahal and the band and, and that kind of stuff so those trends, you know, were something that we all, you know, went through, or if you loved it and really felt it was your thing, you stayed there, you know. Uh, some people got to blues and they stayed in blues forever, you know. But for most of us, we, you take a little bit of this, you take a little bit of that, you're building your identity. And um, so my identity, you know, pretty much was in place by the early 70s and then uh, um, we were used to every single band having a very distinct identity. You couldn't really, uh, you know, you could be influenced to some extent by, by other people but you really had to have your own thing. So um, when I went you know, looking for my own thing in the end we, uh, we created Southside Giant Asbury Jukes which was a hybrid of rock and soul, you know, which was Unique, you know, we, we were trying to be like the white Sam and Dave, me and Southside. So you had the soul horns, soul rhythms, and rock guitar, which was, you know, 
our thing. Pretty pretty much a unique a unique thing. Um, you know. And that was that was the beginning, you know, that was you know, by then, you know, and I've gone back to that sound now with my, with my new Soulfire album and my new band. It's pretty much full circle for me back to what I was doing with the Jukes. Only now I've added three girls for some background vocals, which uh, I really fell in love with on the Darling Love album I produced a couple of years ago. Um, you know, she has a phenomenal background vocalist, and uh, I really got into the whole thing. I, I love arranging. I was an arranger first before I was a producer, before I was a writer. So I love that weaving together the background vocals with the string parts, with the horn parts, and that big sound that Lieber and Stoller invented, and Phil Spector did, and the Four Seasons did it, and Motown did it. It's just that big, that, that big, as big as rock and roll gets, you know? I just, I'm just, that's what I'm into at the moment, so that's why I'm crazy enough to have a 15-piece band on the road, and, uh, <laughs> 30 people on a, on a plane. But uh, anyway, so it starts off with records like everybody else, and you learn from them records, and then you slowly, you are what you like in the end, you know. You, you figure out what you like, and that's who you become. Mm -hmm. 